Stocks, Docks and Barrels. This morning's Big Business Recap. Big Business Recap indeed. We'll be catching up with some business stories from around the world in particular. Let's start things off with Oman. Uh, Much closer to home for us and uh, according to the Omani Investment Authority, their total assets reached uh, 17.9 billion uh, Omani rials or $46.6 billion in 2022 as it continues to ramp up investments globally and nationally uh, to support the economic growth. The total return on investments last year last year was around 8.8%, contributing more than 5 billion rials to the finance ministry in the form of dividends to support the general budget. That's according uh, to that particular report. For people who don't know what uh, Armand Investment Authority does, um, it manages, grows and invests Armand's funds and assets to generate the maximum returns that they could. And then it will they will contribute that to the country's economy. And it also manages the assets and investments through two different portfolios, the National Development Portfolio and the future generations fund as well and 60 percent of assets are actually under the national development portfolio which consists of 160 companies mainly supporting the growth of the local economy of Oman. the future generations fund on the other hand it focuses on international investments with 40 percent of the oia's assets under that umbrella of the future generations fund Yeah, and apart from domestic investments in Oman, constituting to 61.5% of total investments, the OIA has investments in a number of countries globally, including North America, Europe, Asia Pacific, here in the Middle East as well, uh, and North Africa, uh, Latin America, and Africa as a whole. Now, uh, last month, OIA did sign a preliminary agreement with Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund ready to explore investment opportunities worth as much as $5 billion um, as well. And among its other major assets, the OIA wholly owns Oman's main energy holding company, OQ, uh, created really to centralize the state's oil and gas investments. So definitely some big uh, uh, economic moves there from Oman, uh, really putting a strong footing as it presses forward with its economic diversification initiatives um, with when it comes to um, kind of steering away from oil. Now let's talk about what's going on in the US because there's been some big, big developments over there. Of course, Donald Trump's attempt really to overturn the 2020 election and growing political uh, polarization in the US contributed to a quote-unquote erosion erosion of governance that led a top credit ratings agency to downgrade US debt, as stated by a senior director um, of the company. Now, Fitch cut its ratings on the U.S. debt yesterday, uh, and it was only the second time in history that a leading credit agency has downgraded the U.S. debt. The first was back in 2011 when Fitch rival Standard and Poor's cut the U.S. triple A rating after a nerve-wracking fight between the Republicans and the Obama administration. So, yeah, big, big, kind of stressful time going on over in the U.S. at the moment. Yeah, it definitely is. And look, a lot of people have ruled it out saying, um, or spokespeople have ruled it out saying this is uh, outrageous. uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen calling it arbitrary and outdated dated um, and uh, the reason why Fitch has given these ratings is they say 
The rating downgrade of the U.S. reflects the expected fiscal deterioration over the next three years, a high and growing general government debt burden and the erosion of governance relative to uh, AA and AAA rated peers over the last two decades. Now, um, it does not change what Americans and investors and people around the world know, according to Janet Yellen. And some people, and a lot of analysts, in fact, say that it's literally a drop from being extremely good to very good. It doesn't really matter. It's just that, like downgrading <laughs> your credit worthiness. But overall, if you look at the bigger picture, it's it's intense because yeah. you know rating agencies. Yes, they can be wrong. They can be uh, hyped up, but they're, they're they're talking about it at the moment. You know, after that announcement, actually, the dollar fell across a range of currencies. Mm. Stock futures ticked down, and Treasury futures rose. But several investors and analysts they said they expected the impact of the downgrade to be actually limited. Um, but you know, looking at the importance of credit ratings, investors they use credit ratings to assess the risk profile of companies and governments when they raise the financing in the debt capital market. So generally, the lower a borrower's rating, the higher its financing costs will be. Yeah, and let's talk about what the real effects of this uh, um, um, down downgrade, I should say, uh, on the economy. It's going to be having some immediate effects on the nation's borrowing costs, mm. also really threaten their economic growth, and unfortunately hike interest rates for consumer loans like credit cards and mortgages. And as you stated, Abdukarim, it's it's been criticized because the U.S. Treasury Secret- Secretary Janet Yellen uh, really has criticized the decision made by Fitch uh, in a statement on Tuesday saying that Fitch's decision does not change what American investors and people all around the world already know. And that is that the Treasury sec- securities remain the world's preeminent safe and liquid asset and that the American economy is fundamentally strong. So definitely put some big statements there from uh, Yellen. Most definitely is, and especially if you were nervous and the people in the country who might be slightly concerned about it uh, can rest assured after that statement. Meanwhile, catching up with other stories, of course, the United Kingdom is going to be increasing their interest rates later today from 5% to 5.25%. It is going to mean higher interest rates and mortgages and loans for people, but also higher savings rates. If you have a savings account, you could be making some money. And it is uh, higher than usual and putting households under pressure, as per the latest reports. Heading off to the business headlines, we'll return right after that, continuing the conversation, catching up with political developments uh, from Niger. So all of this is going to be discussed here on the program. Stay tuned to The Morning Majlis. It's the Morning Majlis. Yeah, it's the Morning Majlis. Welcome back to the show. Let's talk about what's going on in West Africa because it's been some big, big developments happening over this last week over in the country of Niger, which is the neighboring country of Nigeria. Now, last week on Thursday, people in in Niger um, awoke to a divided country because uh, this came after mutinous soldiers claimed to have ousted the president of the country, but the government did state it will never accept their rule and has called for the population to reject it. The president is, of course, President Mohamed Bazoum, and he was elected back in 2021 in the West Africa African nation's first peaceful democratic transfer of power since its independence from France back in 1960. Now, this has been going on and continuing over the week, 
And recent news has come out stating that Niger's military leadership has declared that it's supporting the coup uh, against President Mohamed Bazoum and furthering this, uh, appearing on national television in the West African nation, Air Force Colonel Amadou Abdramain did state that all political activities have now been suspended until further notice. He has previously claimed defense and security forces have uh, had decided to put an end to the regime because of a deteriorating security situation and overall bad governance. Now, he's urged against any foreign intervention and said all borders had been closed and a nationwide curfew has been put in place. But as I stated, the government so far has said it will never accept their rule and has called for the population to reject it. And this has also caused some major blackouts occurring across, across the country. Absolutely, yes. So many implications, of course, of this. Uh, major cities in Niger are facing rolling blackouts following uh, that coup in the West African country. And the power shortages are a result, of course, of Nigeria cutting supplies to the northern neighbor. Uh, and, you know, what happens is that West African trade bloc uh, ECOWAS has actually put sanctions on Niger, but has not said if these include electricity supplies. Uh, now, ECOWAS uh, defense chiefs are actually meeting in Nigeria to discuss a potential military intervention to kind of roll back the coup. But on Sunday, uh, West African leaders, they gave Niger's military junta a week to give up power or face possible military consequences. And speaking on uh, Wednesday, uh, Abdel Fattah uh, Musa, uh, happens to be the commissioner uh, for ECOWAS, for political affairs, peace and security, said that an armed intervention would be a last resort. But he insisted that the bloc had to prepare for the eventuality of that. Now, looking back at the implications, military leaders in Niger, they seized power from the country's democratically elected president this week, making it the third country in as many years to fall to a coup in that region of Africa or the Sahel region of Africa. And Niger happens to be a key partner in the West's fight against terrorism as a, as a whole. Just a few months ago, Secretary of State Antony Blinken visited Niger and called it a model of democracy in the region. But with just a new military government, it's unclear where the West and Niger go from here. Speaking of the U.S., the United States has also ordered the partial uh, evacuation of its embassy in Niger following that coup. So hundreds of foreign nationals have already been evacuated from the country. And on Sunday, the French embassy was attacked actually by protesters as well due to that. Yeah, it's worrying. You know what? Niger has always had a history of military rule uh, for a long, long time. And now with the, uh, the short-lived democratic transition uh, has been uh, a key area of... Uh, well, it's been under the spotlight. There are concerns and thoughts that the Wagner Group might have had a, a role to play in the country as well. And, and that's also one of the reasons why the Western powers are a little bit interested in uh, the recent developments. Now, it is not clear in terms of what might have triggered the coup. What we do understand is, according to analysis from africacenter.org, um, it is uh, the fact is that the presidential guards chief, who was um, ousted, has been disgruntled. He's disgruntled after being sidelined, yeah, and uh, with other coups in the region, uh, situation over the security and poverty have led to more 
extra constitutional action. So in response to the um, situated departing uh, head of presidential guard, uh, Niger's chief of defense declared the army's support for the coup attempt on July 27 in the interest of avoiding bloodshed. Uh, the president had refused to resign and called on the country to resist and protect the country's hard-earned democratic gains. Um, uh, uh, the Wagner Group's chief has also uh, welcomed uh, the coup in Niger and uh, it has been quite complex in terms of their involvement in the country. Uh, but now with the military governments, uh, the military being involved, uh, it is going to be quite interesting to see what happens next but so far it is quite a concern in the country so it is not very very clear in terms of what might have triggered the coup but it looks more like uh, when the the, the chief of the president well the chief of presidential guard was uh, sidelined things went south so especially i feel like the consequences um of this coup in niger they're very dire uh, not only for the region but also for mm. international partners mm. uh, because niger was the last um, stronghold of, of democracy in this region, the Sahel region of Africa. And the fact that military leaders they have taken over in Niger just shows that Sahel is in a very dire situation right now, whether on political governance, on uh, the military response to the insurgency, but also on human rights as a whole. But what really came as a shock for me is the U.S. presence, the military presence in the country. I um, when I came across the news, I, I was like, hmm, U.S. presence, uh, military presence in the country in Niger, why? Um, but one of the reasons that the U.S. does have a military presence in Niger apparently is to help the country fight the various uh, terrorism groups in the region. Mm. So um, it, it is a very important news, very important. Uh, it's a bad situation, mm -hmm. of course. But... Um, now what we know, as, as I just said uh, earlier, that the U.S. has ordered the partial evacuation of its embassy in Niger. And uh, we're just going to have to see what happens. And, and, and U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken did speak to the oust uh, President Mohamed Abazoum actually on Wednesday, uh, adding that the U.S. is committed to the restoration of Niger's uh, democratically elected government. Yeah, and, and pol political aside, you know, it's really affecting the people of Niger, uh, talking about these blackouts, with, with Niger being really heavily dependent on its wealthier neighbor to the south, being Nigeria. It's been reported that actually Niger rely um, on up to 70% of its electricity supply to come from Nigeria. That's 70%. And the residents living in cities across the country of Niger only have about an hour at a, uh, of electricity and power at a time before it's switched off for up to five hours. So, yeah, it's the public that are really, really being affected by this. Yeah, definitely are. And uh, speaking about stats and numbers under the democratic rule, they've been saying that uh, Niger's uh, per capita income had expanded 26% in the decade under the uh, democratic system. Economic growth had been quite robust. They were projected to grow 7% this year and 12.5% uh, in the following year. But of course, now with this uh, these political developments, it is putting the economic strain on the country, which also hosts over 300,000 refugees that have fled the conflicts in Mali and Nigeria. Uh, so we'll definitely be keeping a close eye on these developments. But so far, uh, these are the latest updates as more countries are now evacuating their personnel.
Uh, stay with us here on the program. Up next, we talk to you about uh, another little topic that is a little bit closer to home. It is the um, uh, the the rice export issue from India, the non-Basmati rice. Does that affect you? How are the retailers responding? Uh, all of this is going to be discussed right here on the Morning Matchless.